Hello, hello. Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. This week's guest is Ian Masiak, or as many of you might know him, Ian Hits Drums on Instagram. His machine-like playing incorporates the proper pinch of humanity, just enough to pull you in and build the soundscape that only he can create. I've loved the finesse of his playing from afar for quite some time now, and it's certainly a direction I want my own plane to go, so I was stoked to see what he had to say. You can check him out on the track Sleepy Pietro from the new Machine Drum album, or relax to his drumming in the Focus and Lo-Fi Beats playlists on Headspace, among many other projects that he'll be announcing soonish. Also, go check out his Patreon, where you can download his original drum grooves, loops, and one-shots. The link to that is in his Instagram bio. But all right, enjoy my show with Ian Masiak and the top five influences that shaped his amazing style. Cheers. currently have like so much of it just came from posting all my stuff on instagram and then just people dming me like hey do you want to work together Mm -hmm. and then you know later on down the line it started being people that i have been listening to their music for you know decades and it was pretty freaky but going before that um i i kind of grew up in like a musical family everybody plays multiple instruments so i was always around it and then went into like the school system starting in elementary school um and even then like i wasn't really playing drum set it was more either melodic percussion like uh, xylophone and then just anything that you could do in the concert band in the school district mm-hmm. at that time and then uh in college i sort of got out of it or just got out of um playing for a little bit first couple years of college and then started get ba- getting back into playing kit after two years of college and i ended up dropping out of college um just wasn't really working out for me and then i moved up to erie um i think it was almost like 10 years ago now and that's when i started like really getting serious about trying to make music and trying to do something within the industry uh, why'd you stop playing drums for a little bit? Because I, I also stopped in my mid-20s. I, there was a, mm. like a 10-month span where I went to school for wine, and I was like, oh, wow. drums are for kids. Like I'm, I'm, that's, a, <laughs> that's a pipe dream. I need to grow up, and, then, and now I'm here. But uh, yeah, why, why'd you stop initially? Um, well, when I was at college, like, I didn't go for music or anything. Mm. I honestly don't even know why I went to college other than you know, like social stigma, like, Oh, I have to go Common so tale, I went yeah. for, uh, yeah, I went for like pre business, like a business degree, ended up hating that. I switched to, um, geology cause I've always been like super into that. And it, it ended up not working out because I, uh, met somebody and then got into a bunch of drugs and everything. And oh shit, okay, it just, kind of playing music wasn't really what I was worried about at that point. Sure. Um, but I'd say, yeah, I, th- I think it was my sophomore year after I switched my major because I, I uh, played lacrosse in college and the head of student affairs was our coach. 
So I told him like, I want to switch majors. Like I can't, I can't do this anymore. So he switched all of my classes for me, but he never switched my major. So then for an entire year, I was taking courses, not going towards my major. Lovely. I had no idea until I got a letter in the mail saying you are now expelled because you have not <laughs> completed any of these courses going towards your major. I was like, Oh, great. And before I got that letter, he retired. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh and I hope you, I mean, you're laughing too, oh, but that is yeah. ridiculous. Oh, it was so ridiculous. And at the time, like being just not worrying about school at all, being kind of messed up on drugs a lot is like, well, I guess this was inevitable anyway. So yeah. I ended up transferring to a different school after that summer and like getting out of that relationship, trying to get back on track. And I went to a school for a, basically a semester for music and even then it was like this this still isn't for me yeah and at the end of that semester one of my high school friends who i've been playing with uh, since high school uh hit me up and he's like hey I'm, I'm in town just looking to play some music and he texted like three people at the school that he knew were there and all three drummers and i got back to him first so he, he came down to the apartment and we set up and we jammed for the weekend. And he was saying, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm moving back to Erie from uh, New Hampshire. And I'm just trying to get, get something going, get a band going, just start making music again. And for whatever reason, it was like, it blew my mind that that's like, he was there in my apartment saying these words. I'm like, dude, I'm coming with you. <laughs> I'm just, we'll, we'll find a spot. We'll move in together and let's, let's do it. It, I mean, even when I was at the first college that I was uh, going to, I, I knew like I would never stop playing music just because it was, you know, it was ingrained in me from such a young age, but it was never like a, like a serious thought of like, okay, I need to start, I need to do this. I need to do this. And then like, I'll have this plan. I'll be able to go to a different city and start networking with people and all this. It was never like me taking it seriously enough to make all those moves and then when he came down it was kind of like okay i'm just gonna do it myself because i like i don't know what the hell i'm doing we don't know what the hell we're doing but we're going to do what we said we would do you know all those years ago in sure. high school and just like talking out of our asses about it but then it just kind of like finally came to this moment i was like okay let's let's do it <laughs> and luckily when I told my parents I'm not going to college anymore and I'm moving two hours away to just be a musician and figure it out, they were totally supportive of that. I, I think after my past relationship and seeing me go through everything I put them through, they were finally happy to see me like making a concrete decision and like just going after something and being passionate about it. Because for a long time, I was kind of just like, emotionally like flatlined uh, i was especially after like my <laughs> college experience and being with that person it totally like wiped me out i didn't know what to do with myself i like was sort of emotionless for a while and then started getting back into it and then when chris came down that was like the catalyst to finally like okay i'm gonna I'm going to pull myself out of this and do something with myself rather than just sit here and wonder what the hell happened. I, I, I did like the first ever interview I ever did about like drums or anything. 
basically it's me talking for like an hour and a half about how messed up I was. And at that point in my life and all these crazy stories of what happened. And then after I was on, I was like, what the hell did I just do? (laughs) No (laughs) one knows who I am. (laughs) I just was interviewed and I told them this horror story of my life. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think those are the conversations that whether you can relate exactly to, you know, going through some hard drugs. I mean, most people can relate to the shitty times as opposed to like, mm. I'm a drummer. I've always been amazing. So just do what I did. People are like, oh, in some way I can parallel what his you know, struggles were. No, exactly. And I was honestly so surprised for people that after that interview would reach out and just say like, hey man, I either kind of went through the same thing or I have a friend that's doing this. And like listening to that was hit my hi-hat here um (laughs) listening to that was like really helpful and blah 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 so even getting you know like four or five people dming me that type of stuff it was like really like oh wow i'm like i'm really glad that actually hit home with some people sure and there's enough there's enough podcasts about histories of drummers i'm sure the impact you made on those four people were tenfold the impact that just a drummer that would have wanted to just hear about your history you know so Right, right um what kind of music was it that you guys played um man i don't know we were we were pretty into like i guess you could call it like math rock a little Mm. bit but we're very we're both very into like cinematic music whether it was from an actual movie or just things that like very epic sounding like soundtracks Mm -hmm. so we were kind of trying to mix the two and at first we were just a duo I was playing drums. I had like a sample pad and a pedal board set up for the sample pad. He played keys, guitar, um, had an octave pedal for his guitar to like make bass lines and loop. So he had a looper station, his computer. Um, we used the, the Chaosolator Pro because he also played trumpet and he would run his trumpet through that, make some oh, loops fun. with it. So it was just, it was all over the place. And we were trying to just pump out as many ideas as we possibly could. And then I think like a year, a year or two after we, no, it was probably a year after we did that project, we played a gig in Erie and there was a couple dudes there that was, that were checking us out and we ended up talking to them and then they both joined us. And then we made our project with the worst band name ever, just pronunciation wise. So it's S-P-E-T-H-Z, which stood for 7.83 hertz, which is the Schumann resonance of the earth. So Speths. 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 Yeah. Terrible decision. (laughs) I mean... There's there's a band called the Butthole Surfers, uh, so I think I think Speths is is still above that. Although maybe <laughs> yeah, I mean I guess all it's all subjective. But um, <laughs> well, Erie, PA. So obviously we were talking beforehand that uh, you know obviously that reminds a lot of drummers of the movie that thing you do. But mm-hmm. is is that a music scene up there? Um, there's there's like a, a small local scene and. It's kind of just like small town local scene. Everybody kind of gets recycled through different mm. bands and makes different groups and everything. Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of people making music and playing music. And I, I think currently, I, I feel like there's more people getting into uh, like the um, production realm, like either making beats or making tunes for other people. And there's a, well, 
now he's he's not local anymore. He just moved to uh, South Korea. But this guy I knew, uh, Najee Adamson, and he just goes by Najee, but he's like easily one of the most talented producers and singers, drummer. Like he does everything. And he was like this completely unknown person in this town and had been here for like eight years or something, maybe even longer than that, but constantly pumping out fantastic music. Mm-hmm. But I think the town is much more like, hey, we're going to go see a blues band on Friday. That yeah. same blues band we've seen for 15 years. <laughs> but they might do a different blues song. So that's why <laughs> yeah. we're going. Well, he, he got as far away from your EPA as he possibly could, looks like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's, he's, he's got uh, some pretty good success for um, everything that he's put out. He, I, like I said, he's absolutely incredible. Um, I can't remember. I think he, he has a bunch of releases on like Soul Action. And he works with a bunch of other producers on that label, but really, really cool stuff like R and B hip hop type stuff. But the way he like makes his beats and the way he sings, especially is super, super uh, unique. Like Mm -hmm. something I haven't really heard anybody do, especially in that like realm of music before. So super, super talented dude. Sweet. I'll, I'll, I'll drop some of his, I'll drop a link of his in the show notes for everyone that's listening. Do you guys can yeah, go check it absolutely. out? Um, all right. So I did want to talk, I mean, we're probably going to touch on this when we get into your five choices, but you, you have a very light touch and the older mm-hmm. I get, sometimes the lighter you play, the more internal you can get as a listener. Mm-hmm. And that's like the heaviest stuff you can play, you know? And right. so it's like the older you get, it's like the softer, the more rock and more powerful it is. So ha- have you always had a light touch? I, yeah, I don't, when I'm playing, it doesn't feel like, or I am especially not thinking like how much velocity I'm using. It's just like my, it's either my comfort level for whatever I'm playing or I'm trying to be dynamic within the genres that I'm playing. Mm -hmm. But I think, I feel like that comes from like all of my um, like high school band stuff, just like getting pounded by my drum instructor and band teacher about like the using dynamics, especially because our band director was a uh, percussionist. Mm -hmm. So she was just all, I mean, she was so hard on the percussion section and that was incredible actually because it taught me just like at least at that young age it wasn't there was a lot of people that were like oh i'm gonna join band and blah blah blah. well it'll be fun and then they met uh mrs seco and she kicked their ass until they quit band because <laughs> <laughs> she wasn't having anybody in that band that couldn't play yeah i think a lot of it comes from um playing local gigs especially like jazz trio gigs whether it's like a wallpaper gig or we're just like set up in the corner for like a, a dinner, whatever. And you, you have to play quiet. Cause I don't, I'm, I am not good with brushes at all. So I, and I, I don't want to use like hot rods or anything. Um, so you. just playing as absolutely like quiet as possible on those gigs, but still having the ability to play what I want to play and be musical with it other than, you know, just playing like the bare bones thing because it's so goddamn quiet doing those gigs for like four or five years, I feel like that, that definitely shaped the touch I have on the kit. 
Well, going back to your point of like when you're playing quieter and you have like that a deeper connection to what you're doing because you can hear everything like that's I, I couldn't agree more with that statement because that's especially if I'm playing to music or I have like I'm recording to something. I usually monitor my drums like in in my headphones which I, it's more of a recent, uh, a recent thing that I started doing probably like six or eight months ago. Cause I would normally just have like the click and the music in my ear. Mm-hmm. And then what I'm hearing of my drums, it's just in real time. I'm hearing it through my headphones. But when I started monitoring my drums and like trying to match the level of the song or whatever I'm doing, even with the click, I felt like I was getting, um, it was, the connection to the music would happen so much faster because I'm hearing my drum sounds. Mm-hmm. I don't have any question about that. And then I'm really focusing on matching the dynamics of whatever tune I'm playing to or whatever, uh, whatever I'm recording. Yeah. And I feel like monitoring myself in the headphones, like made that go even deeper. Yeah. I need to get better at, uh, right now I have those like home Depot uh, airplane you know, traffic oh, yeah. controller yeah. ones that like make right. any drum set just sound like it's perfectly in tune and it's just it has this warmth <laughs> to it but yeah then that i'm i'm playing louder than i need to because right. i don't really the dynamics are not you know present mm-hmm. but speaking of playing quietly as well so i i noticed that in your past videos you were in more of a practice space but now most of your videos are in your house is that a covid thing or is that just a convenience of work thing yeah yeah um it was like two or three weeks into the quarantine and I had moved some stuff to the house out of my, out of my practice space. But the space I was in was gigantic. It had like 14 foot ceilings. I can't remember the dimensions of the room, but I I could make like a small drum shop in there if I wanted to. Yeah. It It was massive. And I, I shared it with two people, uh, a few years ago. And then they both, moved out of town basically without telling me so then i was the only one still there that was on the lease one of them even signed a fake name on the lease which i didn't know until we looked at it so let's have the rest of the podcast just be about those relationships that'd be interesting (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah a couple weeks into quarantine i moved everything back here and then maybe a week after doing that, I was like, I don't, I don't need another space to go to. Cause I always, I always had this thought in my mind, like I need to go, I need to go somewhere to work. Mm, like I need yep. to go to work every day. I'm going to wake up and take the dogs out and bring them home. And then I'm going to leave and go to work. Totally get that. But now I wake up and I'm in my office. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's hard. To I walk down the hall and it's right here. Um, and that was just so much better. And just being home with the dogs, with my wife, like constantly, cause she works from home too. She's an artist and, uh, she's been working from home for a full year now. And that wasn't even like quarantine related. She, she had a job as a gallery director, but then left that to just do art full time. It's awesome. And then, and then quarantine hit like two months after that. So being home all the time with her and the dogs, it was just my like it helped my uh my mentality but I, I was just i was far happier doing that because there would be some days i'd be at my studio 
my drum set set up all the mics and everything and it's just such a big room and it's in this old industrial building and there's crap all over the place from the other two guys that left all their broken gear and books and all this stuff yeah and i would just be like sitting there in the chair looking at my drum set i was like this is this is not a good situation yeah <laughs> like, not inspiring it, it at very all. hard yeah it was very hard to be creative by the end of that well, I remember the first few times I've seen you play, uh, your wife and your dogs are just in the background <laughs> while you're playing. They're just chilling, reading books. It's like, yeah. oh, that's just, <laughs> it also is a testament to how delicate your touch really is, you know, <laughs> but it was just, it's, it's a cool vibe. And I was like, you know, you, and you, you have your lights and it just, it's, it's, it's a very cool, uh, aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I'm, it's the only place I could probably put my drums in this house is it, they take up like a quarter of the living room. So you walk in my uh computer speakers interface right up against the wall and then drums right here and then the rest of the living room <laughs> yeah you set up your kit very ergonomically um smart <laughs> i guess ergonomic <laughs> is the word i'm trying to i'm not sounding smart you set your kit up very ergonomically and the, the older i get the more i do that did you ever grapple mm -hmm. with that whole like my my set has to look cool as opposed to not being as ergonomic for my body or, or were you always just smart <laughs> i <laughs> i've always been smart um, and there we go guys thank you for tuning in <laughs> all right but no i honestly um especially when i had um the old studio space i wouldn't keep a single setup the same for more than like almost like half a day at a time Really? I would always be changing stuff and just whether I'm like trying a new setup or because and sometimes I would just like try to make myself uncomfortable with how it's set up and see like what would come from that. But most times it was like, all right, I'm going to put this rack tom up. I fucking hate rack toms. All right. Put a snare up there. <laughs> I've the seen you like... say that a few times in reference to videos and stuff. What's what's your deal with rack toms? I don't I don't know. I just for a lot of the stuff that I, I like to play, I guess there's not a lot of like Tom work in it, like in jungle drum and bass. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you can find songs that are completely like based around Tom parts in those genres. But for what I like to play, all I really need is kick snare hat. Mm -hmm. so when it comes to having that rack tom option i'd much rather have a different snare sound or a different sure. hi-hat sound yeah a lot of my setups there's like three hi-hat sounds four snare sounds two kick drums now and uh, that kind of it's the same with um crash cymbals for me I, I think i own two crash cymbals and i usually just use them as hi-hats <laughs> yeah i uh, again i'm i'm talking like i'm a sage right now but the older i get the the less i like crash cymbals when i hear them <laughs> in music when i do them myself yeah. it's just like they're they're i'll say it they're just not needed 99 percent <laughs> of the time it's like you don't yeah. need to tell people like here here's this next section just go to the next section yeah <laughs> but then i play live and it's just you know because i also play in a in like a a, a band called eve six and so that we have to mm. play with a lot of bright a custom just oh, yeah, the whole sure. time so you know <laughs> i just have to turn my my brain off when i do that um yeah but it's also fun so hey y'all i wanted to <laughs> i can't say i wanted to talk to you about a drum i've recently received from preston at vessel drum co it's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, 
with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and I regretted it ever since then just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time and I just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right, well then, yeah, let's just get into your top five. I've uh, I've taken up a bunch of your time already, so, and I I was really excited when we when we talked because you were kind of saying how you're not as much of a drum a drum geek when it comes to you know influenced by drummers per se, and I was so excited to hear you know the direction you took. So we can just get into it, and it's going to be yeah. probably the least drummy episode we've had in a while, which is great. So that's what I did. I, I felt like I had to include one drummer in there, but he, I, I, the, when we get to it, he's definitely like the one drummer that when it, when I heard that music is like, this is, I want to do that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And we will, we'll get into him. Um, and he's only been mentioned one time before and it makes me sad that he's not mentioned more, oh, but, man. uh, all right. So the n- number one for you is, uh, your immediate family, because everyone plays different instruments, and you've you sort of alluded to it at the beginning, yeah. but you you uh, skimmed past it. Um, and so, yeah, just just kind of talk about your family and the upbringing that way. Yeah, so both my uh, parents, my mom and dad, and my older brother all play different instruments. My dad like guitar, bass. He played trumpet in a band for a while. He sings. My mom plays. Uh, bass mostly but like mandolin guitar and every year my dad will end up getting her a new instrument for christmas it basically like hey learn this one because remember that one song that had that flute part yeah we're good we're gonna cover that this week <laughs> yeah. so every year it's just like here here fonda yeah have, an- right have another in- instrument yeah but um my brother my older brother um he plays just about everything um and he i i would definitely i was when i was younger i was very jealous of how easily like different instruments came to him because he played he started playing guitar when he was super super young so then like just picking up a bass learning how to do that when i when my parents got me um my first drum set he immediately sat down and was like playing beats and doing all this stuff i was like dude just, it. just stop Okay, I haven't even touched it yet, and you're light years better than I am. So there's was, a little bit of frustration at, there. Is he good at writing, or is he just good at executing? 
yeah no he he can write and um when when we were younger i mean he was really into like grunge when he was younger and then that turned into like metal and death metal like when i was in sixth grade trying to cover like cannibal corpse songs with him on guitar and like screaming into a microphone and then he would like stop halfway through he's like it's not like that he'll sit down and show me how to do it I'm like come on man i'm trying here <laughs> were you trying to play loud or were you playing like, like uh, well Norway at that and... point it was uh, um definitely loud yeah it was a. Uh, I mean, playing Cannibal Corpse, you kind of have to be loud. Yeah, I can just but... imagine you playing Cannibal Corpse and you're just kind of doing these like drum and bass loops or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And from a young age, they, my parents, definitely like exposed us to a bunch of different styles of music. I remember being pretty young, and I think right around the time where I was um, starting to take private lessons. Um, we would always go to like the Pittsburgh Philharmonic or whatever, go see like actual Philharmonic orchestras mm-hmm. a lot. I remember going down the, like the Benetton and different theaters down there to see a bunch of orchestral music when I was younger. And I feel like that's like, it got me into, or like it, I, I always really enjoyed that type of music. So when I finally got into like the school system with concert band and everything, I was like really ready to do that. And my first private lessons were all um, for like marimba. So the first thing I learned how to do percussively was a read music and then started getting into melodic percussion. And I did that for a while. And then someone showed me a drum set and all of that information flew out of my head. <laughs> like, As it I was should. like, I'm no. done. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. And that's, I, I mean, I regret it today because when I'm looking at a keyboard, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Yep, I think I remember this. Pinky there. And, <laughs> and then six hours later, I have like 16 bars that I wrote. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> In a lot, um, other than orchestral types of music, like my parents were always into like rock and blues, um, some funk, just kind of everything, especially my dad. My dad was always into like some really wild music and still is i i remember i mean i can't remember when tune yards first album came out but like he heard it somewhere and he immediately just like sent it to me he's like hey man you got to check these guys out and i feel like every couple weeks my dad sending me new music that i've never heard of like where are you finding this stuff man yeah it is always so good too and and watching uh, i guess watching them play with their friends or in bands it was always like in the back of my head is like man i want to do that this is what i want to do even when i was still doing like melodic percussion and everything do you feel like you have a natural ability at the drums or is it something that you had to work at and that's kind of this obstacle that you always have to i i felt i always felt like the coordination for it was there but like my my brain when i was like first getting started my brain didn't want to put the notes like where where they should be at least like for drum beats Mm -hmm. because when i started playing the first thing that i would do especially with my snare drum like i i never wanted to do just like back beats if i was listening to a song or like playing to a song my left hand would always try to like match the the vocal line or like a lead guitar line interesting and like do those uh like not and i didn't really think of them as like ghost notes back then it was like that's like that's the voice I want this to have. 
So then when I was getting more and more into it, going back, like I almost had to like teach myself how to play a backbeat over mm-hmm. top of everything else. And that was like kind of challenging when I realized I had been doing that type of stuff for so long. It's like, why can't I play two and four on the fucking snare drum? Like this is so <laughs> difficult for me right now. I still can't. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we can go to number number two if you want. I mean, uh, most of what you said, I don't, I'm not familiar with besides uh, John, but um, Mr. Oizo. Uh, yeah, and so, Mr. Wazo. Wazo? Yeah, yeah. Oh, He's there a you French go. Guy. Case in point. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Orzo, like Greek Orzo salad. <laughs> uh, so Mr. Wazo, and I'll just play, uh, I know you said just him in general, but um, I'm just going to play Flatbeat, the radio yeah. edit, and uh, <laughs> from the Flatbeat EP from 99. But let's just play a little bit of that, and then we can talk about him afterwards. All right. Oh, yeah, I used to know Quinnan. He's a real, he's a real jerky. Dan Maya was impressed with my fade out skills, so I hope I'm still living up to the standards. <laughs> that was perfect. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, so I I know the first time that I heard it, um, my my brother used to. Well, I guess he still skateboards. He was really into it, so he would get like the four one one VHS tapes, skate videos, and I just remember on the one I can't remember. I actually tried to look up like what episode it was. But they had Flatbeat playing in mm. it. I just remember, like, I would want him to, like, yeah, play that one. Do the, yeah. like, put this one in again. I want to watch this one again. And every time it would come on, I would just get so amped up for that song. And it was the first time I heard it. And then I think, hmm, man, I don't know when that would have been. If that came out in 99, but um, a while ago. And then after hearing that, my brother um had his album analog worms attack and after listening to that album it was like i mean it blew my mind the the bass sounds that he could generate and i know a lot of it was probably with hardware at the time but just the the sound of that album um because i mean it's all very like hip-hop or um some of it it's i know a lot of um like bigger dubstep producers kind of like tip their cap to Mr. Wazo. And he's worked with a lot of um, bigger uh, producers now, but they always talk about like analog worms attack and how that like really inspired them to get into bass music. Like even though a lot of the beats are like very hip hop style, you know, some of them get up to like really like 140 BPM. And even that one, that's kind of like a house house tempo tune. Yeah. But it was the first time that I'd heard anything like that. 
and it totally freaked me out. So then after I, um, my brother showed me analog worms attack, I just wanted to get into like anything that he possibly had. And then years down the line, I found out that he was actually a, um, filmmaker too. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but honestly, if you, uh, just look up Quentin Dupuis and, uh, check out some of his movies, they are really freaking good. <laughs> yeah. The one movie, I think it's just called wrong. Okay. That's, that's probably my favorite one of his. Is, is, is he still producing music or is he? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I well, think he, his last album came out maybe a couple years ago. It seems like he's more uh, invested in filmmaking right now. Okay. But I'd say like every couple years, he'll come out with a, a new album. And I'm assuming he does his own, he scores his own movies or? Yeah. Yeah. All usually. that stuff. So it's kind of like you get an album with every yeah, release, right. baby, you know? So, yeah. Um, but that was definitely, it was like my, my introduction into electronic music, I would say. That's sick. That's sick. Before we go on to number three, I do want to play something, and I kind of want to how you dissect beats, because it's actually your most, uh, I believe it's your most recent Instagram uh, post, and I just uh, want to play it. It was uh, you playing, yeah, you learned uh, an Aphex Twin song pretty quickly, and so I just want to <laughs> play it for people, and then I just want to hear you decipher how mm -hmm. you did that. It's that fill at the end that blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, that's sick, man. So what? which song is that again? Uh, it's Vord Hosben. <laughs> okay. If you, yeah. <laughs> All of his uh, track titles are pretty insane. Yeah. But... Um, no, I mean, that's that's off of uh, Drux, which is definitely one of my favorite Aphex albums. Um, I had one of my like Patreon members just message me and say that he was um, transcribing the tune for like a, um, a recital for whatever college he's going to and just had some questions on like trying to get the sounds on the acoustic drum set to match more of what's going on in there, which... It's kind of, I mean, tough to do if you're not just going to immediately do everything in post mm -hmm. and just like EQ everything so it sounds more electronic. So we started talking about that, and then I remembered how much I love that album and that tune. So I just sat down and uh, started. I, I took like the first chunk and I cut it out of the song, and I just started looping it and listen listening to it before I even uh, was playing it, so I can just take a mental note, especially of where the, um, the kick patterns were. Mm -hmm. And then after I do that, I usually just start playing 16th notes between, uh, the hi-hat and the snare. Okay. So then I can, st uh, start to see like where all the snare accents are. And from playing like drum and bass and jungle so much, there's definitely like these micro, not like licks or anything, but just like groupings of like three notes, five notes that can have, multiple like stickings like very easily so then working with the hi-hat and snare only and then having the kick be exactly what's in the song i can start to like decide like okay if i do a double here then that's going to free up this hand to hit this sound or i can switch over to the other hi-hat sound and still have the snare be where it needs to be so it's just like making those decisions on the kit 
uh, just sonically rather than you know like just blowing over the tune and doing whatever you want on it because yeah. uh, when i'm doing when if i would do like a cover like that if you can even call it a cover i played like 30 seconds of the tune <laughs> um i always want to like match any everything that's going on probably listen to that album hundreds of times now so just yeah. like being able to sing it to myself first and then listening to it on a loop for a little bit is like all right i think i know like basically what's going on but then it's just making the the decisions of when to use the sounds or when to match the sounds because in there there's at least what i am hearing well not even what i'm hearing because there's so many different hi-hat sounds but there's one part where the hi-hat like it's pitched up a little bit and then i went to my stack for that because it's higher than these hats and just trying to figure out the sticking of okay what how can i get my right hand over there mm -hmm. and like when's the best time to do it with the sticking that i'm going to use yeah all right so number three and it's i don't know why maybe because it's jason sudeikis but whenever i'm saying this guy's name and like just hanging out with friends i always say jason stanier john stanier <laughs> from battles uh yep. john 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 and <laughs> so you didn't you didn't i mean you just kind of specified or you didn't specify you just said him in general so i just mm -hmm. chose a song that i thought was cool from one of my favorite records of theirs the yeah. album's mirrored and i don't know how to pronounce this song name but it's the word diamond with a capital d in the beginning and a lowercase d at the end so d diamond d <laughs> Yeah, I whenever John rolls through rolls through town on like a like a fly date, I'm sure every SIR style snare is just like, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, please don't pick me. <laughs> but yeah, so I it was definitely the first time because I, I I never really listened to um like Helmet or Tomahawk, the mm. other the other bands that he plays with. Yeah. But the first time I heard Battles, and I think it was one of their uh EPs one of my buddies in college showed it to me and it totally just freaked me out. Like this is some really cool uh, stuff. And they were still playing with uh, Ty and Day Braxton at the mm, time, yeah. which is huge. Um, but yeah, it was, I can't remember. It was like EPB or something. I can't remember which one it was after that. And like listening to it over and over and over again. And then when uh, mirrored came out immediately bought that and started learning like all of it basically yeah. and then seeing like him play live how just hard he smashes everything and then his ride symbol all the way up here like oh i i was immediately fell in love with it but mm -hmm. like just the playing style in general because at the time um i guess uh when like gloss drop came out um i was playing in in Spets. And oh, nice. we kind of, we, we had like a sort of similar sound and we were um, just always experimenting with different, different styles because all of us came from like a totally different musical background. 
and it almost like it, it didn't really like make sense all of us playing together but when we would write songs a little bit of everybody was like in that song every time so it ended up being a little bit experimental but like very much battles like radiohead cigarose ish it could be like very epic and open or like super linear and fast like that but his drumming style was like okay i'm i'm this is kind of what i'm doing right now so i'm just gonna dive in and at the time i was playing um my my only drum kit instructor had just moved to uh london with his band and he left his drum set with me to look after while he was living over there it was like a pearl uh master studio so mm. i was using like the 22 inch kick 10 inch rack tom 16 inch floor tom i just had a pair of hi-hats my snare and a ride some but like i was totally just like ripping him off yeah. as much as i possibly could sure and like everything that I would be writing would be mainly linear stuff, like super heavy footwork all the time. And I think through play or like trying to play like that and learning a lot of the battles tunes, it likes, I, I felt like I started to get a, like, or develop like a sound that I really wanted to like chase after, or at least a style, maybe mm -hmm. not a sound, but more of a style. And then later on, like listening to different electronic music, I was always so surprised, like how how well all those beats and rhythms transferred into that stuff. And especially something like footwork, the style, the electronic style footwork, um, there was there was so much like going uh, or so much related from the two styles. And I was it, I feel like listening to him emulating him as much as i could really like um helped me transfer into playing purely electronic music like very easily i'm not familiar with footwork that's that's a style of music mm -hmm. what's can you yeah. describe it a little bit um well a lot of um like the the machine drum stuff that mm -hmm. would be like footwork so like one oh, okay. 140 bpm to like 160 and um usually you have like one there would be like one snare hit per per measure but then the kick drum is kind of like driving or the the bass sound the kick whatever is driving the rhythm a little bit more than the snare is. okay yeah all right well let's move on to number four and uh yeah i mean you kind of started talking about this but the perfection that is electronic music in parentheses how everything's on the grid mm -hmm. yeah i mean that was playing like starting out on the drum set and like playing jamming with my parents and my brother in the basement, like that was def it was all before I was anywhere close to being into electronic music. So, and even playing with like my friends in high school and like having jams or whatever, it was still very much like rock blues based. And I wasn't really analyzing it back then, but all like feel based music nothing like none of us listening to a click or playing to a click or anything like that but then when i got into electronic music and i started playing to electronic music i just like became fascinated with being right on the beat with all of their notes because i knew like okay this is programmed music like this is all exactly in time on the grid and i just wanted to be able to lock in with that like as, as best as i could mm -hmm. so for a while it was kind of just like my obsession of finding whether it's like some jungle tune or just uh, Mr. Wazo. Wazo is a little bit different because he he uses a lot of swing a lot of the time. 
but even that swing is calculated. Sure. So it's still technically, you can call it gridded. Mm-hmm. But I definitely got obsessed with just trying to be like the drum machine and just doing my best at like imitating that, making it sound or making it hard to tell if the drums are real or if they're programmed. And then like the deeper I would get into some genres and especially if it came to like jungle and drum and bass, like the more I learned about it, it was like, wait a second, they're just sampling old records that weren't played to a click and then putting them together, like looping them, cutting them and everything. So it's not really as perfect as I thought it was to begin with. Now, when the, like the song is like finished and they have everything lined up to a degree, it's like there are loops happening, but even within those bars, there's a little bit of give like back or forth on the beat. And like, it, it kind of opened up my mind, like why, I mean, it wasn't, uh, you know, time wasted trying to be the drum machine, but it was more, it, it, it opened me up when I was, when I learned more about the genre and how human it really is or how human electronic music like really is sure. because they're taking all that old music and repurposing it, it, whether it's like faster, like drum and bass or just using like one shot from a sample in a song or something like that. And it just like, it made me go a little bit deeper into like my relationship with time and like, especially just like with a click. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to get better at controlling, um, my time against the click rather than the click controlling what I'm doing. Now that I'm like thinking about it with, with my old band, we, we, I think, yeah, we had one computer running for just like we were using some sounds from it, but everybody in the band had their own looper Mm. and most of them were just uh, line six DL fours. Okay. So none of the clocks were connected whatsoever. And there are multiple times where everybody's hitting in uh, loops at the same time. And uh, luckily I didn't like break anyone mentally because I was like trying to get everybody to be in this practice space, like four or five times a week. So we can actually nail all this stuff that we're trying to do without these loopers having connected clocks. But as soon as we would like start a song and if it was, if it was started like with a loop on a DL four, like that's not a perfect, it's never a perfect loop, like you mm-hmm. were just saying. So it's it's just um, imitating that space and time and then doing it again, doing it again. Yeah. Rather than it knowing that it's correct the entire time. Or correct. Well, and I, yeah, exactly. And I'm, I'm a broken record and I'm sorry, people that listen, I, I, I bring this up a lot, but you haven't heard me talk about this. Um, but Brody Simpson talks about that kind of stuff. He's more talking about like Dilla, kind of style Mm. beats but when you it's the same with loops is just uh it's the repeatability of dynamics you know and then that becomes so even if there is this weird tension between loops after you hear it consistently three times in your head that 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 tension becomes perfect for whatever you're listening to and and it like the tension completely leaves once you have it like uh repeated enough times Mm -hmm. then you like naturally will find a pulse in it yeah 
Yeah, because there is uh, when Madden Class was on the show, she was talking about um, Hiatus Coyote and Perrin Moss. I went down a little rabbit hole of him recording, and he would just play beats. And he's a great drummer, but he would purposely like he'd have like his hand on like some mixer, and he was playing with like one hand, so it, it wasn't like his best performance. So it kind of sounded kind of weird. He would chop it and just like loop a section, and it sounded so magical. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it really is that easy. <laughs> just making something right. feel good and then repeat it. Um, and who, yeah, who cares? <laughs> so yeah, this is going to be number five and it's, um, scene die like a dog trio. And so I did, when I was looking up, there is the, the die like a dog quartet, but you were mm. very specific about it is, um, I'm just going to have you say their names cause I'm probably going to yeah, butcher so them. So the drummer is Hamid Drake. The upright bass player is William Parker and the sax player is Peter Brotzman. Okay. So, so I do. Go ahead. Peter Peter Brosman is pretty pretty well known in that world, just with all his um, compositions, like pretty pretty wild <laughs> saxophone player or musician in general. But yeah, we man, I can't remember how long ago this was. Um, but a group of friends and I went up to Buffalo to watch them because one um, actually one of my friends in town, he was like one of the first guys i met when i moved up here and he was he had a few bands he's an older guy um and he had a few projects that were kind of in the same like cut from the same cloth very like free avant-garde type stuff mm-hmm. and um so i i met him when i first moved up here and he was still playing out but he has um vertigo so he actually ended up like not being able to play for a really long time. Mm. And he didn't know if he was going to be able to really play at all anymore. And he has, or he had this, um, beautiful, um, 1979 Tama superstar bop kit. Ooh, nice. It was like, Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. So once he like, didn't think he was going to be able to play anymore, he like gifted it to me to hold on to for him like it was kind of like a just in case you know just <laughs> keep an eye on the, keep an eye on this for me and it was i mean i i was totally shocked because i had played the kit before and i always talked to him about it but he like he hand wrote letters to everyone in his immediate family like asking that their permission for him to give the kit to me to like look after for him you know, wow. after he told me all this stuff, I'm like, dude, this is, this is fucking heavy, man. <laughs> like, this is yeah. insane. So that's like that, that kit is like my, my baby. I don't, I don't play it too often. Um, but there's, there's always certain, certain times that maybe if I think he'll come out to like a, a jazz gig, I'll play in town, like I'll pull the kit out and I'll take it to one of those and play it for him. Can you, can you send me a picture of it so I can put yeah. it in the show notes? Yeah. Yeah. That's sure. awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's really. a, that's tricky because you're you obviously want your friend, and it sounds like he's an amazing dear friend. You want him to be able to play again, but you're also like, but I want the kit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, even when he like told me that, and he told me about the letters and everything, I was like, you're just I mean, I'm honored that you went through all your family and to do this, but like, do you want to do this? Like, you sure. can still have it at home. And he's like, well, it's just going to sit around in cases and you oh. can actually get some use out of it. Like, Fuck, man. So it's the, the 79 Bob kit plus a full set of um, 60s A's. Ugh. Can't get better than that. 
Yeah, 15-inch hats, 22-inch ride, 18-inch crash, um, and a 20-inch flat ride. My God. Well, to, to, to quick pivot, kind of, but like, do you exclusively play Sugar at like in your studio? Yeah, yeah. All the drums I have are from Jeff. Oh, it's insane. <laughs> so, so good. good. They're so good. <laughs> no, they're not, Jeff. I hate them. You're terrible at <laughs> drum making. Yeah, he, he he paid me to bring this up, so I'm gonna Venmo him right now if you want to give me a second. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, so you said that you were you got to speak to Hamid after the after one of the shows. Oh yeah, yeah. So. Sorry about that. We we uh, went up to Buffalo and to see them play, and we ended up sitting. It was a really really small little theater, and um, we were first two rows because there was a group of like eight of us that went. So we were in the first two rows, and Hamid's kick drum was like four feet away from me, mm-hmm. and he was playing all these cymbals, like probably yeah, I mean, definitely not his kit, not his cymbals but they had been there since the night before. So he had duct tape on his ride symbol, basically covering the entire bottom of the ride symbol. And then on the other, like on, even on his hi hats, he had like half of the top hat covered in duct tape. He had a like bunch of towels on everything. And he would like move all that stuff around. And he even took like duct tape off of the hat mid like mid gig to get a different sound and watching all of them play together and being Totally, like three completely separate parts all happening at the same time, but the connection between all three of them while they were playing and then randomly, and maybe not even randomly, but like hitting these um, like hits together after playing like 64 bars of complete madness and then like dropping down to like bare like pianismo and then like playing into another song like building it back up and the entire gig started with Brotzman like walking out we were all the green room was right next to the stage it was supposed to start at like eight o'clock or something they finally came out of the green room at like 8 45 nice very guns and roses yeah (laughs) yeah so they walk out and Brotzman goes up to the mic with his sax and just like screams this note for like a minute straight and then they went right into the first tune and it was like totally meant to you know bring you out of your comfort comfort zone from the first note and then like they're in control of the audience now like we're gonna take you all over the place you have no decision in this like this is gonna be a ride (laughs) yeah and it totally was it like was blowing my mind listening to like the relationship Hamid had with uh, Parker and then what Brotzman was doing over top. And like, you really let yourself go and get immersed in it. And then your brain starts making all these different like rhythmic connections and melodic connections between the bass and the um, uh, saxophone. And it was almost like you, you could hear multiple songs playing at the same time. It was just such a wild experience being that close to it and watching them all work together but like separately at the same time so after the gig and like after i switched my underwear out (laughs) yeah i was having a cigarette and hamid drake walked out and he just lights up a cigarette so i'm like awkwardly like oh great job man Uh, and we started talking and i just told him like yeah i I also play drums blah blah blah. and uh, i just told him like man i I know it's late now, but I, I really can't wait to get back to Erie and go immediately to my studio and practice. And he like stopped me dead. He took the cigarette out of his mouth. He's like, don't, don't go in practice. You go back to your studio 
and you play go and play and like it was i mean it was almost like my dad yelling at me like type of vibe is like no you don't go and you go and play and then like the entire two two hour ride back to erie is just like play play go and play it was just like bouncing around in my head and just the idea of it like yeah you can go to your studio you can practice you know rudiments or whatever the hell you want to practice but you're not practicing performing you're not practicing being in the moment you can observe yourself practicing and say like hey i think i'm getting better at this because i'm putting the time in and i'm and i'm practicing but if it's not showing up on the gig or showing up when you need it to, or it's still like an awkward moment of like making a decision in real time to do something like you're not playing that you're removing yourself from like what's actually happening in that moment to think back to something that you did. And then you have to think forward to be able to like use it in real time. And then you're completely removing yourself from the experience when you start doing that. So like playing like in his words, not he didn't tell me not to fucking practice but he said to go play and that just like really changed how i was thinking about music and how i thought about like how i spent my time in the studio and i would start like dedicating either like a couple hours or even like a full day of playing and trying to reach for things and trying to make these sounds or like rhythms different rhythms and compound rhythms but the entire time just be as present as i possibly could while doing it and i feel like doing that like practicing performing more than just practicing helped me so much and like definitely just like boosted my confidence when i was on a gig or like just in if i'm recording something like okay it's performance time it's not it's not practice time it's time to go yeah i think and i'm gonna try and i'm gonna butcher what i'm trying to say but Thinking back to when I was a kid, um, I'm 33. So when I was growing up, there wasn't YouTube, there wasn't all this stuff. And like so much more of the progress that became who I am as a player was mm -hmm. in those times when this, when the YouTube online videos on what you should practice, do this for the, you know, do your left hand with this or learn this, not so much licks, but just like work on this specific technique stuff. Mm -hmm. That's almost like it's obviously I've still still uh improved as a drummer but i've 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 kind of hit a a plateau of my personality behind the kit because i don't necessarily play enough you know yeah. right yeah and honestly if anybody's not familiar with hamid drake just look up some clips of him playing because i mean it's just like raw emotion every time he's behind the kit i do want to play um by the way to go back to battles with battles real quick the ep was called epc slash bep it's a <laughs> just so you know i think if that was bothering you you were right technically um i do have a clip i wanted to play um where it's it's under on spotify it's under hamid's um name but he also it's oh, okay. irene schweitzer schweizer mm -hmm. but i'm just going to play it's called a former dialogue and uh but this album came out this year so oh, it's wow. it's one of the most awesome. uh yeah it's the first track off the album celebration which is irene schweizer and ahmed drake
when you do sit down to practice, because I'm sure you, maybe I'm not sure, but I assume you do still have times and you're like, okay, I want to work on this. How do you decide what to work on? I think lately, or I guess more recently, it's, it's, if I'm listening to something and there's some sort of disconnect I'm having with like whatever the drum part is on a tune, I usually like, that's how I'll start. I'll just like pick a song either that I, I don't know how to play, or it's just something that I've really like admired for a while. And I've never like sat down to do it yet. Cause that's like, I, a lot of time it, it, like practice is weird with me, especially with drums, because after 20 minutes of hearing drum sounds, I don't want to fucking hear drum sounds anymore. (laughs) It's the last thing that I want is to just keep hearing the sound of a snare drum or a ride cymbal nonstop. So if I'm just sitting, sitting there and like trying to play or like do like syncopation or uh, coordination stuff, I get really sick of that very quickly. Mm -hmm. So if I have an actual like musical element, to either be, like try to learn or at least guide me in some stylistic way, then that's I'm going to immediately be so much more invested into doing what I'm doing rather than like forcing myself to sit down and just play drums with nothing else going on. Mm-hmm. And like when it comes to drum sounds and everything, like I never, I never did the, um, the drum shed thing like never understood it. If I'm in a room and six people were playing drums at the same time, get me out of that room. <laughs> I'm with you. Well, that That's kind of why I was talking earlier when we were DMing is like, I don't want this to be a drummy, drummy, drummy podcast, you know, because yeah. I think uh, I actually want to get more like singer songwriters, not singer song, or just songwriters in general, producers that mm-hmm. do not play drums because a lot of times their perspective on what they look for in what drums should be doing um, are what drummers should hear more than just what, some gearhead would want to talk about, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's it. Like even the, maybe two times I've been in the experience of like, Oh man, we should shed or like have a buddy over and we both play drums or something. It's like, I, I get so sick of it so quickly and I'm just not invested in it whatsoever. Like, dude, I will play a backbeat for you to freak out over Yeah, for an hour. But like trading fours with each other doing that like i just i don't want to do that <laughs> dude you couldn't be t- uh, preaching to a uh, more parallel <laughs> choir here so when it comes to like drummers or favorite drummers like all of all of the ones that i would consider like one of my favorite drummers it's not like it's none of the music that i play like uh, one of my all-time favorite drummers i don't know if you've had him on here or not um is eric slick he plays with uh, dr dog yes and, like, yeah. he does his own solo stuff everything he does on the drum set is like in that band and i mean he's played with some pretty ridiculous people yeah it has like crazy chops but when he plays with that band it's just perfect yeah. <laughs> like the sounds that he gets and the decisions that he makes and I, uh, my wife and i have seen them live a couple times and it's always my favorite show yeah, he's uh, he's very humble too. You wouldn't think of you know how much of a monster with the yeah, dude. Yeah, his mind is in 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 the best possible way ridiculous. Uh, he's he's so funny. Um, all right, Ian. Well, I'll let you I'll let you go, man. But uh, well, hopefully I'll talk to you soon and have a good rest of the day, man. Yeah, you too. 
And that's the show. Be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening on a platform that allows for ratings or reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, which means the show will get better and bigger. And hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'd be an OG listener that could brag to all your friends. Um, Anyways, also, why don't you go ahead and check out BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and all the socials. Just search for at BigFatSnareDrum and you will find it. This show is edited in part using Isotope RX-8 Audio Editor. It's amazing. So go check that out at Isotope.com. Bye.